Not that we, want to, we like waiting rooms. We go to the doctor because we believe that he or she possesses the power or the skill set to help us to get better, to get well, to have a healing in our life. So we'll go. Well, that's true sometimes spiritually. This could be like the waiting room out in the lobby, the gathering area. And maybe this is even a waiting room. And some of you will come really close and you'll listen maybe to hear the voice of God and you'll hear the scriptures expounded on. But that's enough. My prayer through this series is somehow that you want to begin to take on these new attitudes. These are not prescriptions that I've been giving you every week. They're descriptions of a Christ follower. One that is marked by Jesus, following Jesus, they begin to be distinguished by some of these marks that we've been looking at week after week. And today is no different about being pure, being a peacemaker. And yes, the last one, which is so critical, even being persecuted for his name's sake. So our text there is in Matthew, and I want to just look at this. I want to read this to you quickly. If you look there in Matthew chapter 5, listen to God's word from the NIV. Verse 8, blessed, well, verse, uh, yeah, bless, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. But rejoice and be glad, in verse 12, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In other words, if we begin to follow this description, we are in a great company of hosts, as Hebrews describes. We're with those that have suffered before us, that have gone before us, and the ones that will come after us, but we should be in that great company. They're those that get persecuted, but that's the last part. He starts off there talking about blessed are the pure in heart because they'll do what? They'll see God. The word heart there, it comes from the word cardia, and we get cardiovision. I, I do this elliptical with my wife, and we have these cardiovision television screens. I, I really like them. And, and the whole thing, they, they were being creative with cardiovision that somehow maybe you'll stay on this and do it more if we can let you watch the news or a show or sports or whatever. And, and I'll be honest with you, it really helps because it can kind of distract you from the pain or the monotony. Does anybody know what I'm talking about when you exercise? The monotony sometimes. Do I have a witness? And some of you are like, I, I don't know. I don't go. So it doesn't bother me. Okay. Well, I, I try to do that because I do it because for years I lifted a lot of weights and then I had a neck injury and I quit. But my wife was always on me because she says, Keith, you need to work your heart muscle. That's what you really need to work. So in the last 10, 15 years, I've much more concentrated on my heart than I have anything else. And it's because I want to build a strong heart muscle. Your heart is incredible. That organ has such capacity and such power. It'd be like if you grabbed a tennis ball and you squeezed it, that's the kind of force that your heart has. And it works all the time. And it works even ever so hard, even when you're asleep. How many of you are glad that your heart works when you sleep? If you didn't, you'd be dead. So our heart, and, and, in, and in the circulatory system, and how God's made us, it, it pumps so much blood, and so much goes on. And, and they say it tra travels like 12,000 miles a day. That's a long ways. And two weeks from tomorrow, I start my journey to Africa. And I'm going to tell you, that's a long ways. And it's not 12,000 miles, but it might as well be. It's a long way to get there. And, and our body, and God's given us it, and over our lifetime, it just travels so far. And it's just amazing how God always speaks to the heart, because the heart, write it down, is the inner part of man. 
It's the inner recesses of who we are. It's the central core of humanity, the heart. Jesus is all about the heart. I've preached on the heart in several different ways, but I couldn't skip it this morning because it is what it starts here with. It, it begins to say, um, I, I want to I come. I want to give you a clean heart. I want to give you a pure heart. Listen to some scriptures, Proverbs 23, 7. For he is the kind of man who's always thinking about the cost. Eat and drink, he says to you. But his heart is not with you. So even there he begins to speak about the heart. Matthew 9, 4. Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart? He didn't say with your eyes, and they were certainly a part of it. He didn't say the mind, and that was certainly a part of it. He said your heart, the, the inner recesses, the innermost being. And then in Proverbs 4.22, For they are life to those who find them and help to a man's whole body. The pure heart is one that is morally pure. They're sincere. They're honest. They're people of integrity and honor. And they're certainly the kind of people that you want to be like when we, uh, this morning we dedicated Little Collier, we want him to grow up to be a, a little boy that just has incredible capacity, but he has a pure heart, and he's a sincere, and he has a, a, a walk of integrity for God. And I pray that he sees that modeled in his mom and dad, and I'm sure he will, but I hope he sees it in us, his, his church family. In Psalm 51, just you can write some of these scriptures down, because I don't necessarily always put them on there. I'm trying to keep you interactive with me. I want you to write. I want you to think. I want you to reflect. Listen to Psalm 51, verse 6, verse 10. Surely you desire truth in my inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Take not the Holy Spirit from me. But, oh God, in the inner recesses, in the inmost being, in my frame, God, that you have framed, that you have built me, you know me. Look at my heart. Test me. Search me. See if there be any hurtful, offensive way within me, God. But give me a pure heart. The one that follows Jesus is concerned about the heart. If you really follow Jesus, you're not merely religious. You're not merely checking a box off. You have a right heart. Let's look at the two definitions here. With me, So the heart refers to the inner person. Let's look at the, the box. He has a clean heart. There's a catharsis. It's a cathartic moment that happens. There's this great release of emotional tension. There's somehow a refreshing that comes. I remember it well. Do you remember your salvation when you came to know Jesus and there was a washing over your heart? Do I have a witness? There was freedom for the soul. There was freedom for the heart. There was new capacities. There was new desires. There was new hunger. There was a new life. Oh, that's what I remember most, the, the new life. The, uh, and then I was reading this passage. It's one of my favorites. It's probably my favorite passage in the book of Ezekiel. Will you turn to Ezekiel with me? If you turn over to Ezekiel, you, you, you find this, this wonderful passage, and he begins to, to speak to us there about our hearts. And I want you to listen to what he says. In Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27, I will give you a new heart, and I'll put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you a heart of stone, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God promises to the prophet, he promises to us today, that he'll put a heart of flesh, a living, a dynamic, a new union with him in our hearts when Christ comes and invades and the Holy Spirit seals us and marks us and we get new life. And God says, I want to give you a new heart. A pure heart. You know, you know what I've wondered, or I, I know? Our hearts are dark and cold and callous and deceptive. 
deceiving, and, 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 and they'll go against us, and, and they do all kinds of things. I want you to listen to what he says here in the message translation of this passage I read you. He says there, starting a little earlier, he says, I'll pour pure water over you, and I'll scrub you clean. I'll give you a new heart, and I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll remove the stone heart from your body, and I'll replace it with a heart that's God-willed, not self-willed. I'll put my spirit in you, and I'll make it possible for you to do what I tell you and to live by my commands. I like what he says here. He says, not, not self-will. We know what it is to be a self-will life. I'll put that God will. You remember a few weeks ago, I did the, the illustration from uh, Dr. Bright from Campus Crusade for Christ, and we had the, the self-life where we put self on the throne, and then we had the throne where Jesus is enthroned, and Jesus wants to be enthroned, and he's the only one that can give a clean heart. Oh, you can, you can be pretty good-hearted, and you can seem really good by terms of the world, and people can say, wow, you're nice, you're kind, you're generous, you're, you're kind-hearted, and, and that would be right. And I even meet some people that don't know Christ that are much more kinder than believers sometimes. And boy, that's an indictment in the church. I mean, isn't it sad when the pagan, unbelieving community seems to have a better heart than we do of, that claim faith? So that word is, I hope somebody's going, man, that is like convicting, that's piercing. Well, that's the process of what I try to do. It's the, the purpose of the word that he brings change. So he gives us a clean heart, and he blesses the pure heart. He blesses those that are tender and responsive to him, to his word. But it also doesn't just have the connotation of a pure heart. In the Greek, in the Hebrew, it begins to break it down a little more. It says it's an unmixed heart. It's an unpolluted heart. It's an undiluted heart. Um, I brought some props today. I went by the grocery store yesterday to get these and can I just tell you, it was quite ecstatic pre-ball game yesterday at 1.30. I thought I was going to get run over by a shopping cart because everybody's getting home to watch the game. And I was one of them. And, 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 and I, I'm using this for an illustration because this is something my wife doesn't know about this, but she's going to love it. This, this is a drink of choice when our kids were little. Sunny D, baby. Anybody like Sunny D? This is nothing but pure, diluted mess. Sugar. I was reading about it. It's so bad that it only says, like, it's thinking about containing 5% of juice. Lots of other contents and jugo and stuff I can't pronounce. But there's a lot of not good stuff. But some reason, and my wife is so health conscious, but for some reason she let us drink this, our girls, when they were little. And Rachel and Hannah loved to have Sunny D. And, oh, Dad liked it. I didn't know how much sugar I was getting. So I'm really looking forward to this experience this afternoon, the sunny day. But, but I didn't do it on Sunday morning. But, hey, let's graduate. And then, hey, I went and got this. And, of course, this is Minute made. It's pulp-free, baby. It's 100% pure squeezed orange juice. Not. I started reading the contents on it, and it says, I'm a little better than Sunny D. It didn't really say that. But it, it gets a little better, and it has some ingredients that are a little healthy, and then it has lots of sugars, and I went, oh, bless you. So this was going to be, so if I have this gradual buzz one day, and then I have another buzz, and then I thought, well, could there be another drink? So just hold on, man. I was having fun in the grocery store. Then, then I came up with this one. Let's see what this one is. And, and this is, oh, yeah, baby. 
Here. Here we go. Pay attention. Yeah. Hey. Here we go. There you go. Hey, you be sweet to her. She's been battling cancer, and she's overcoming, and just in Jesus' name, there you go. You receive that. And hey, here we go. Hey. Isn't that awesome? Pastor always wanted to do this in church. And pastor needs one. You know what this is? That's healthy. That's 100% orange juice. Squeeze it. No sugars. No other gross contents. It's unmixed. It's pure. It's the real deal. And that's what Jesus wants to give us, that kind of heart. You're saying, you're an absolute nut, but I like it when you do stuff like that. I had a vision when I did that. I preached one time on grace. And I stood on this very stage. And I preached with authority and power of what a mulligan was. And I swung my celestial golf club this way. And it hit my friend over there in the head. <laughs> did I hurt anybody with the orange? But pure and mixed. Do you get the story of grace a little more? Do you get the story of what Jesus wants to give us? He wants to give us a little more. And, uh, and we, we want that polluted sunny D. Just right on there today. Sunny, it's a sunny D day. You're like, and some of you, it's amazing when I preach and do stuff, y'all go out and eat the very things. The other day when I was talking about Mexican, everybody goes, you must be prophetic. We're going to Mexican. <laughs> Whatever, I'm not telling you where I'm going today. I don't want you to go. Okay, here we go. No, I, yeah, that'd be fine. But pure heart should produce pure actions. Can you write that down? A pure heart should produce a pure result, an action that orients sinners around Jesus. And yet, I wrote in here, do not give away to exceptions and to excuses. Jesus, I'll do this except, I'll do this except my excuses. You know, I hear excuses everywhere I go. Even our wonderful faith family, people give me excuses. We, I give excuses, you give excuses, and God doesn't want anything to do with them. Well, I would come to church more regularly, but I, but I stay up and watch football too late. I'm sure the Father goes, that is so awesome. Not I would tithe, but, you know, I really look good in a Beamer, and I don't want to not drive a Beamer, so I'm not going to tithe. Gotcha. Hey, I would, I would serve, but, you know, that would take time. Gotcha again. Y'all, it's about us having hearts for the King, and not that I just try to communicate with truth, the power of the gospel, but Christ takes our hearts, and he makes them new, and he strips them clean, and we become holy unto the Lord. Amen. Down at our Troy campus venue, I'm watching kids fall more in love with Jesus. I got a letter this week, and I renewed my contract. It's not a contract. It cost us money to do that ministry. College students are coming to Jesus. Kids are coming back to the faith. And yes, we now have a few adults that are beginning to show up on site. And some woman was a missionary to Alaska, and she's come in, and she's been arrested by the grace of Christ through our video and through our worship. And I say, bless the Lamb of God. Amen. And then people on this campus, we get touched, and we go to the theater, and we get touched, and Mark Bethay is an amazing teacher. He teaches our students, and I thank God for him, and Charity is leading kids right now. They're having small group. They just finished having their time of high death. It's an amazing environment for kids, but somehow together, we need to work together to become the body of Christ that have pure hearts, undiluted, not sunny D kind of hearts. 1 Samuel 16, 7, write it down, great verse. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at, but... Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart.
heart. I wish I could be more like God, and I can, and so can you. When I get still and I ask him to give me his spirit, and I discern, and I begin to look at man, how many times I'm quick to rush to judgment. I'm so glad my God has mercy. A pure heart, I want you to fill it in, a pure heart is a responsive heart. A pure heart loves the thing God loves, and it responds to the spirit. It responds to grace. Uh, It's a wonderful thing here. To be pure in heart is to seek to live a holy life. Now, I could talk about holiness for hours, and I won't, but holiness is the tradition I come out of, the Wesleyan tradition. It means to love the Lord Jesus Christ. It means to be conformed to the image of the Son. It means to pursue the things of God. It means to be sincerely and purely devoted to God. So that is my question. That is what I hope will mark my life one day, that people will say they were pursuing God. They were desiring to be a holy people because those that are holy will see the Lord, and the church said. And without holiness, no one sees the Lord. We've bought into a false gospel when we think we can live like we want to and we'll see Jesus. Did anybody just hear what I just said? I am so tired of the false gospels out there. There are a lot of them. They're erroneous. And if Christ is not changing you, you're not different than you were. You're not becoming more like Christ. I want to know if you're reading the same gospel that I preach from this platform week after week. This gospel changes people. This this gospel will give you conflict in your soul. It'll challenge you. It'll chastise you. It'll call you somewhere different. You're like, one of them feel-good messages, Pastor. I ain't got time for feel-good. You already got my feel-good. I gave you an orange, okay? It's pastor appreciation, and I gave you an orange. I mean, what else can you ask for, okay? I gave you an orange. I'm giving you the Word of God. Amen? All right, now let's look here. A pure heart is responsive, but I want to show you something. Man, I can, oh, this is one of the days I want to preach till noon, but, but I, I just better not. But I want to, I want to get you to um, turn over to Psalms. Turn over to Psalm. 139. Oh, you got to see this. This right here, I want you to draw a box around it in your Bible. I want you to get here. Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way within me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. That's a great prayer for us to pray every day, and God, change me. Lord, to be pure in heart is to seek to live a holy life. Lord, I can't serve two masters. I have to serve you, God. Look, let's look at section 9, how to become a peacemaker. Well, what do you crave today? Well, I crave peace. Some of you are like, I crave, con- I crave conflict. <laughs> don't, don't come over to my corner. That ain't what I'm looking for. But what do you crave? You know, craving peace drove Nicodemus out of the dark. See, we think Hollywood came up with Nick at night. Nick at night is in the scripture, John 3. Nick came to Jesus at night. Some of you got it and thought it was funny. Some of you are like, huh? Nicodemus was a religious person that was ashamed and came by way of night. But Jesus ambushed him with grace and taught him something really profound. And some of you are like, oh, I'm a Nicodemus believer. I'm trying to come by dark. Oh, look at this. Write it in. Peace is not an absence of conflict, but truth will always divide. When you live truth, when you preach truth, when you walk in truth, it separates. It divides. I've been studying this, and this section is so hard to take in. Because I like the word, the Hebrew word shalom. Can you all say shalom? Shalom. That means peace. I go, how are you? How are you doing today? What's, ha- what's happening? <laughs> Whatever. But the Hebrew people go, shalom, peace, peace be with you. 
And this peace, and we, we want that kind of peace, and we invite peace into our lives, and we want our friends and our families to be in peace, and we certainly want our church to be in peace, but Jesus wants to take it a little bit farther than just anxiety and a lack of trouble or a lack of conflict. He wants to talk about what is a peacemaker. So I want you to write in, spiritual truth creates conflict. I've shared the gospel now for over 32 years in platforms across the globe. In places that I share it, it tends to separate. It, it tends to call for a decision. It also calls for conflict. You're going to lead a different way. And I would never try to give you a cheap gospel. See, when I share the gospel, I pray that it's in the power of the Spirit, and I pray that Christ begins a work in you. Not that you're perfect, because you're not perfect until you get into the presence of Christ, but He begins to make you different than you were, and it separates, and it calls you away. I remember when I came to Jesus. It was radical. And I remember how it separated, and I would speak truth because I had a new nature. And some people that found me fun didn't find me fun now because I was speaking against their sin. And they're like, well, hey, don't call him, man. He'll kill this party in a quick thing. He, he, he don't want to drink now. I mean, wouldn't that be great? Our pastor, he loves to drink, man. Hey, let's go get him. Yeah, that would be the kind of church I want to build, right? But no, truth separates the truth of scriptures and yet some of us are, are, are afraid to do that because we just want the prince of peace we want isaiah as he says he's the prince of peace he's the mighty god and but when the prince of peace the jesus enters our life then we have the capacity to be a peacemaker but a peacemaker is not necessarily what i think it is because I, I i like harmony and i want to be church i'd love to be known as a church of harmony and no conflict but i gotta just tell you under my 14 year watch we have had conflict and the church said huh we have. And we will continue to kind of have conflict because Jesus said, I've overcome the world, and we're going to have trouble. And when we walk in a righteous manner, that's just part of the deal. But somehow we're like, real peacemakers are troublemakers. That's what Greg Laurie said. I said, huh? He said, they're, they're troublemakers because they recognize that as long as people are at war with God, they have to make them sad before they can make them happy. See, when you and I really love our neighbor, we're willing to get in conflict with them. Now, I want you to hear this. If somebody takes this truth that I'm trying to share today, our church could change in the next 90 to 120 days. If we would begin to speak the power of the gospel in love, not in condescending, not in judgmental ways, God knows I want to run from that too. But if we speak the truth with the authority and the humility and the gentleness of Jesus and with brokenness, it will begin to cause conflict and there will be people coming to faith. How many people believe that? But if we don't ever speak it, they don't come to faith because they don't know, they haven't heard. They haven't tasted and seen that the Lord is good. That's what Scripture says. Peacemakers dress for battle, working for truth, working for peace. I like Ephesians. It says that Jesus brought peace, but he created conflict. But listen to Matthew 10, 34. I've never totally understood this verse. I understand it a little more now, but it is just profound. Now let's read it. Listen. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Huh? A sword. That's what Jesus said. But we want to go, oh, peace, Bambi, Jesus. Sweet little Jesus boy. Peace, peace, peace. I tell you what, when he chased the money changers out of the, out of the temple, you think they were going, oh, baby Jesus. I bet he bowed up the authority of God, the Alpha and the Omega. And when he pulled that whip out and them guys went, we out of here. We have messed up against holy God. So truth separates. There's a conflict. There's a humility here. And I'm saying, God, make me like this. Make us like this. I, I wrote down a question. I want you to write it down. When was the last time you created conflict spiritually? <laughs> not, not, no, no, no. Some of you are masters of this. That's not what I said. When was the last time you created spiritual conflict? You say, well, 
Not me, because I want everybody to be my best friend. I already got that t-shirt. I've already walked out that. And I've decided I don't want to be everybody's best friend, because that's not going to win more people to Jesus. And the church said, you don't believe that, do you? I mean, I, want, I, I like people to love me. I don't want people to just walk up and hit me or go, hey, you know, David comes up and goes, boom. I mean, I want that. But spiritual truth will separate sometimes. It'll cause conflict in us. And Jesus, I mean, you know, when, when Jesus spoke truth, they hung him to a cross. And we're to be imitators of Jesus and follow after him. So sometimes we're going to have some conflict. And I'm just like, okay, God, what does that mean? So I want you to write this question down. This is a key question today. Who have you brought home? Who have you brought home to faith? Who have you spoken the truth of the gospel and somehow that's created an appetite for God and they've come home to the Savior? Because if we're willing to witness, to verbalize, to articulate our faith, there will be conflict, but there also will be changes. There will be decisions for Christ. So Lord, would you help me and the people today? to be people that can create spiritual conflicts that people can't stay where they are. One of the quotes I wrote in my book, I forget what writer, I quoted him in the book, I gave him credit, but he talks about hell is much larger today than it was yesterday because we forgot to pray. We didn't take time to pray. We didn't take time to witness. And I just happen to believe this gospel is reality. This gospel is truth. And hell is real. And heaven is real. And it's for those that love the Lord Jesus and they are pure and holy. And they chase holiness. I pray that we could have a revival in our church. That more people would seek the Lord God. That we wouldn't look like the world. And how easy it is to look like the world and go to sleep. And yet, people are in a war with God. Here's, here's a thought. Who can we bring home from the war? Would you, would you somehow write that down today? Who can I bring home from the war? Who has God put on my heart that somebody of my friends is lost, they're in spiritual conflict, they're in enmity with God, and they need to come home? It's time for us to speak. Look at the last one quickly, the promise of persecution. You're saying, well, my goodness, Pastor, you've gone from oranges, orange throwing to this. Man, it's getting a little tougher. Oh, you just wait. I'd, I'd write this the comment there, the promise of persecution. Out beside that, I'd write, happy are the harassed. Jesus says those that follow me that will be persecuted are going to be harassed because the world's under Satan's control and believers, those that love Christ, they're the opposing army to darkness. So there's going to be persecution. And if you dare to live with the attitude that you will be persecuted for his name's sake, the world will promise to hate you. So we have to brush up against resistance. We have to let our heart get marked for him. We have to realize that we're going in the direction of the cross and the world is going in the direction of destruction. And the road is wide to destruction, and it's narrow to eternal life, Jesus said. These are words of Jesus. Expect persecution as a follower of Jesus. Now, I don't know when was the last time I heard about it. Expect persecution. That's, that's this part of the gospel. We follow Christ, we expect persecution. We expect to get hit. And righteousness is confrontational. There's a scripture, I think 2 Timothy is going to come up on that screen, is it? Okay, 2 Timothy 3.12. Would you read this verse with me? This verse is powerful. Read it with me. The fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be... You're like, hmm, man. Circle it. Those that want to be godly this morning will be persecuted for the master. I'll close with this illustration. 
1999, I believe it was April, there was a beautiful teenage girl. And before this, she had been known as a girl in conflict, in agony, in loneliness, drugs, drinking, suicidal thoughts and tendencies. But somebody had invited her to a, uh, a student retreat, and I think in 1997. She heard the gospel of Jesus presented. She gave her heart to Jesus Christ. She became a Christ follower. She began to follow Christ with great abandonment. On that 1999 day at Columbine High, Cassie was in the classroom. She was approached by the two gunmen, and the two gunmen that day killed 12 students, one teacher, and then turned on themselves. As they came up to Cassie that day, they walked over to her, and they asked a question. They said, Cassie, do you believe in God? And she had a one-word response. And it cost her her life. She said, yes. And the gunman took her. Her mom and dad were reading her journal, and months before, she said, my faith means everything to me. I love the Lord Jesus Christ. I will follow him. I will be willing to be persecuted for his name's sake. I would even be willing to give my life for Jesus. And I won't let Cassie not be mentioned in my ministry over the years because she's a modern-day martyr for Jesus Christ. And that young teenage girl, here it is 10, 11 years later, we're still talking about her. If Jesus tarries, I think they'll be talking about her next century. What about you? But here's the thing. I know that's a great story. I get teared up. I get emotional about it. And I watch you and you got. But what are we going to do about it? I don't know if a gunman's going to come and put a gun to our head and say, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you confess him or denounce him now? I hope we'd go, no, I would never turn from him. Jesus is my life. Boom. But I'm praying in our life will we make Christ known and will we be willing to confront spiritual conflict? I know you're going, wow, man, you're, you're fired up, Pastor. I am because I'm going the cost of discipleship. Please write this down. The cost of discipleship is loyalty to Jesus. And I'll close with that statement. The cost of discipleship is loyalty to the Master. And Cassie certainly proved worthy that day. So this morning, I'll close. Will you chase holiness? Will you be willing to be persecuted for Christ? Or you stay where you are. Let's pray. Lord God, I believe that today you're speaking clearly and loudly because you're so in love with your church and you love mankind. And Father, I pray that we would all have to answer that question, will I chase holiness? And I pray that um, some today would say, yes, I will chase holiness with a pure heart. From this day forward, I want to become like Christ. Secondly, I ask you, would you be a peacemaker? Would you be willing to not be ashamed and to stand up and to create conflicts in your world because you speak the truth of the gospel with love and mercy and humility and grace, but you speak truth because you don't want people to stay at war with God. You want them to have peace. And the third part of the prayer is, will you just um, will you be willing to be persecuted for the master? That you'll live a life in obedience to the scripture. No matter what people say about you, you'll follow Christ. 
God, would you build under my watch that kind of church? The church at the gates of hell shall never prevail. The kind of church that you're coming again for, a holy church. I don't know where you're at today, but I pray if you've got questions, I pray our elders, uh, if they just kind of go to both sides of the room, would y'all just do that quickly? Mark, if you go here, and Nathan, would you go over to that cross? I, I just hope and pray that today people won't go, okay, he's through, it's time to go. I hope people would go up to them and say, would you pray for me in the conflict? Would you pray for me to have right words? Would you pray for me to be courageous? Would you pray for me to be bold? Would you pray for me to be whatever? I don't know. Those men right there are godly in Christ, and they're willing to be persecuted, and they want to help you, assist you in a prayer and counsel. So if you'd go over here today, it's, it's a huge, tall order. Lord, help us to have hearts to seek you. Help us to follow you, Jesus, clearly. Oh, tonight, God, we come on Fall Festival, and we're going to have more fun on this campus, and we look forward to that. But God, right now, in this holy moment, I pray you're shaking your church, and you're making us more like Christ. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, let me tell you, right here at the end, there's a video clip I want you to see. And this is what we're starting next weekend, a brand new series called Whisper. And if you'll watch this, as soon as it's over, you're dismissed, you're free to go. We're starting at 5 o'clock this afternoon. Please be here on time. It's going to be a lot of fun. See you later. Watch this. Can you believe the creator of the universe, Father God, he speaks to us. Six and a half billion people on the planet, and yet God chooses to reveal himself to us, primarily through his word. But not only his word, God gives us those inner promptings, those promptings, those impressions of the Holy Spirit where God releases himself, where he makes himself known that he's willing to be heard in a whisper. If we're just willing to take the time to slow down, to change our pace. And this series is really about hearing the voice of God and learning to obey the promptings of the Spirit. He loves you incredibly so, and he wants to speak to your heart. And I'm praying that you're going to be open and that you're going to have the courage to act on what God tells you, that you're going to walk after him with new, fresh faith. And I pray that somehow we're going to learn to hear that voice like we've never heard, that it'll be clear. And as God speaks, we'll act. Be here next Sunday morning, 10 o'clock. Be in your seat because we're going to tackle God's word together.